<laughs> We're already starting off crazy. Yo, good morning, everybody. Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rug of Rugby Swag, man. It is tiring. I told you I've been traveling. But before we get started, yo, I got to tell you, we got some subjects today. Of course, we know, we know. Yo, is MLR in trouble? Because New York is dead, man. We also have uh, the Rugby Sevens Challenger Series announced. Dubai Sevens recaps. Uh, Cape Town Sevens review. Yo, and what can we do to save MLR and rugby? Y'all, we have a great show for you. Uh, but before we get started, yo, let's hit that title intro. I think the minute I stepped on our practice field for rugby, the calling happened. An eight-year plan to be on the team. And I was in it within two years. Don't wait until you are a pro to be a pro. Right. And I walk around with a rugby ball sometimes, and they're like, what is this child on? It looks like it was a heavy hit. It's up. It's not up. You know, that's the first time I played, like, professional. I'm making rugby money. How can I make money outside of it? And there's two Scottish guys, and I said, oh, you're, um, you're here for the movie. That rugby is a game for all shapes and sizes, all cultural um, aspects. He looked at me, and he says, you guys are awesome. Yo, man, my name is Gift Gift Time at Baylu. Welcome to Rugby Swag, the show where we talk about all the things that are going on in rugby and keeping it happening, as well as the people that take advantage of and have been able to grow from it as well. Y'all, we have literally probably one of the best shows because we got topics for days. Topics for days. But before we get started, yo, I want you guys to remember, if you can, please go ahead and subscribe to the channel, uh, Gift Time Rugby on YouTube. Uh, definitely be able to help continue to build our show, be able to build the audience and spread the word and help keep people informed because we want to be able to grow this game correctly because we know it's not necessarily always going to be coming from the top down, right? Also, please go ahead and like this as well, just so you guys can also let me know what's happening, you know, get it going on the same way. And of course, if you want to be able to follow another message, please go ahead and check out out on Instagram at Rugby Swag Show, uh, on X at Gift A Bailu, at Facebook, uh, TikTok, and Twitch at Gift Time Rugby. Y'all, man, it's it's gonna be a good one. And of course, if you don't get a chance to be able to watch the show in its totality, or you know, you can't you can't have YouTube on at the same time because not everybody has that option. You guys definitely can go and check us out on any of our audio streaming sites spotify apple podcast amazon music iHeartMedia, doesn't matter where we're probably on that already so i just i just want you to know you have options here you have options here all right like i said we got an amazing show that's going to be happening uh all right we, we 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 got a bunch to talk about um let's take care of our people first and then let's go ahead and get into this next this first story of the day yo i'm gonna let you get right back to it but i want to talk to you about one of my favorite brands that are out there right now actually i'm gonna show you right quick this is ketogenic coconut bread mix this is a specialty flour blend that allows me to be able to eat almost whatever cakes that i want now coconut is not typically one of my favorite flavors but this has absolutely killed and it's not just because it has great taste, not because it's just easy to make, but it's because it is absolutely not going to destroy my stomach. It is gluten-free, but not nasty. Uh, this is something that has been going on, and this a company, Health Enhanced Food, has so many other options to be able to do and provide and customize 
to the needs that I wanted to. And this is something that I think we all know, especially in this world, it's hard to eat grain flour nowadays. It's not good. It's destroying the stomach. People are getting new and new diseases, and you need to have some new alternatives. So I suggest definitely go check out Health Enhanced Foods. See what kind of bread you can make. And no, it takes 20 minutes to be able to make something from it. They have a slew of options, and they are well-knowledgeable in their ingredients. Everything is transparent. Everything is made in the U.S. and then some. So in the meantime, if you guys could support the show and go to Health Enhanced Food, and you can use coupon code RUGBYSWAG to be able to get 10% off your first purchase order. That's Rugby Swag, and you guys can go ahead and get your bread journey going on today. That's just your cakes, your pies, your bread, and of course, with Thanksgiving and Christmas coming around, you're going to need it. HealthEnhancedFoods.com. Let's get back to it. Yo, all right, y'all. Look, we know what our top story is for today, but I want before we get there, we got some games that happened this last weekend. We got some games happening this past weekend. But first and foremost, yo, we got some announcements that are going on, and that is with the Challenger Cup of uh, the Challenger Cup for uh, World Rugby Sevens. Now, what is the Challenger Cup? Yo, the Challenger Cup is a competition that takes teams that are not typically going to be in uh uh not typically going to be in the uh HSBC rugby 7 series gives them an opportunity to be able to go. We got four of these opportunities that are going to be made available for people and we know that they're about to go. It starts January in Dubai. The teams that we have started off are going to be kicking off with Pool A, Pool B, Pool C and men's. We got Uruguay, we got Hong Kong, uh we got uh, Papua New Guinea, Georgia, Japan, Tonga, Chile, Portugal, Kenya, Germany, Uganda, Mexico for the men. And, of course, we got for the women, uh, Belgium, Thailand, Papua New Guinea, Uganda, China, Czech Republic, Mexico, Kenya, Poland, Hong Kong, Paraguay, and Argentina. This is very, very important because it is so needed to be able to get new blood inside the HSBC tournaments. And I love that they've made the changes going into it. Uh, one of the changes that they've made is that part of this has usually been like come Hong Kong sevens towards the end of the year, you have a chance for teams to, you know, compete. And if you get in the top two, uh, then you will have a chance to be able to move on and, you know, take care of, uh, get a chance to be in the HSBC series. I think this is how Brazil has been able to get in. Jamaica has been a contender many, many times, but they've now kind of flipped it up um, to where it is now the top four that are going to have a chance to be able to be a part of this challenger series. Not only that, not only that it's going to uh, obviously the expanded uh, realm but you also will have a chance to be able to secure a relegation of teams going out of the HSBC series and to allow these new ones to go in. So I think this is a great move by HSBC, by World Rugby. You know, we got to put that up. And this starting out in Dubai, Jan January 12th, let's just go into the next one where our next story, obviously for the day, has to go into what happened for the USA in Dubai 7s. And that is huh, what? Just just what? Why why are we like this? All right. 
The buy sevens, if you guys don't know, if you guys don't know the HSBC series, because of course this is for everybody. This is the seven series that is now kind of known as the Olympic seven series allows teams to be able to compete in different countries over the course of the six months, seven months to be able to have a chance of winning the series. And then obviously create automatic placing for the Olympics, automatic placing for, uh, uh, yeah, really, the Olympics primarily. This is this is where we really want to go to. Um, happening, you know, in Dubai, Cape Town next week, Perth, Vancouver, L.A., Hong Kong, um, uh, Singapore, and then Madrid, uh, Spain, which is a new location for them to be able to go to. Madrid, Spain, uh, Hong Kong, a little bit of a chain. Not Hong Kong is not new. Hong Kong is not new. Um, neither is Singapore. But uh, Vancouver and Perth are new one, taking it out from Sydney. So <laughs> looking at this, you know, we have a long season, but of course, this is an Olympic season. So everything matters in terms of like training. We're still getting placements. I know that the U.S. has an automatic placement for the women finishing top four last year, but it still doesn't speak a lot to what we need to get done going forward. And uh, this week. This past week was not impressive at all. Now, let's I'm going to work with the women first because I feel like they had the highest level of expectation in doing well and uh and uh grotesquely underperformed in their efforts. So, in this situation, we had them in pool C as they were taking on France, they were taking on uh hold on, I got to make sure I get this right. Taking on France Canada and uh this is so bad that I'm missing that last one. France, Canada, and uh Spain for this year. And again, this should be a fairly decent pool. USA has shown the last several months that they're able to compete. They have been able to dominate. We saw the Santiago Pan Am uh Pan Am tournament, USA wiped through. In sevens, they've been able to see increased wins against Australia, been able to see it against France, been able to see it against so many of the teams. And most of that time, we've been bringing back, you know, players to be able to kind of work on and kind of build and develop. We haven't seen the main squad for a long time. Like our primary squad, basically what we did for the Olympics a couple of years ago, we haven't seen them all together. We've seen a lot of tests and, and, and checks, which makes sense going through. Um, you know, this year, we – this competition we brought that to full squad we're talking about the veteran squad Ilona Mar back from injury Cheddar Emba Alev Kelter back from playing overseas with the Saracens uh uh Nia Tapper obviously she's been captaining this entire time Chris Thomas I swear we haven't seen her in a year we haven't seen her in a year it was so good to be able to see her come back Nicole Haverland uh uh and that Jazz Gray Kayla Kinnett and then, of course, now the new ones that have been coming in, Ariana Ramsey, Sammy Sullivan, uh, uh, um, uh, Jazz Gray, Lauren Doyle. Lauren Doyle is actually a veteran as well, too. So this is a team that we have been looking at for, I want to say, at least since 2016, give or take, more or less. Since 2016, this group has worked almost consistently together. They've dominated in, in parts and pieces, but honestly, underwhelmed when it came to the Olympics. Absolutely underwhelmed when it came to the Olympics. So in the third Olympic attempt, we're on our third Olympic third Olympic attempt to be able to do this. I, you have the highest expectations because you got pieces. 
You got experience. You know the game. And yet we finish in a seventh place finish. And and, and, and it's wild. It's wild. Because when you watch, you're just like, on paper, everything makes sense. U.S. starts out great, going 27-0 up against Spain. But then it's just downfall from that point on. And everybody can go, yes, this is Dubai 7s. Everybody's trying to get back into form. You know, you get your warm-ups. But for me, I'm looking at this as this is the Olympic trial. This is our setup. Like, you don't come in slow. So losing to Canada, which has always been a tough team for the U.S., that's, that's undeniable. Canada has been a top-four team. But we're trying to win a gold. That's a team that we're supposed to take out. France losing 38-5 to in uh, the, third, uh, the third pool play. That's a team that we have to be able to beat. And honestly, they're, lo- they're missing some of their wingers to be that have been dominant in other uh, Olympic competitions. It feels like they've been getting new players in. So to lose so dominantly to, the U- uh, to France makes no sense. And then the Australia game. And this is the one that I watched the most. And I, I got to say, it, it, it did not feel like this is the team that we've been watching uh, since 2021, 2022, uh, you know, that has been dynamic. You know, you've, you've got speed, you got handling, you got strength, you got aggressiveness, like something that I felt was needed to be had again in USA rugby sports. Uh, during the uh, WXV tournament, while the women did not uh, completely kill on the boards, I did feel like they were actually like really energetically passionate about every win and just completely being able to support each other bit by bit by bit by bit. In this Australia game, this Australia game that was a quarterfinals that we have beat Australia twice in a row now, twice in a row. We've got the number. And look, Australia is a team that has the same base. We got Charlotte Catholic, you got Faith Nathan. You know, you, you have your basic, uh, your, your same players consistently. Australia absolutely mollywhopped the U.S. I mean, from beginning to end was an absolute mollywhopping. It almost was as, as if they were not awake for this quarterfinal game. And it actually made it a little bit nerve-wracking because, again, if this was a new team or they were trying to get themselves together, like like France legitimately is, or uh, Great Britain, which who did horribly in this Dubai Sevens, has to get used to playing together again because until you get to Olympic play, you don't get to play together as a team. Wales has to play on their own. Ireland has to play on – not Ireland. Wales, Scotland – England, they play in their own individuals. So the women don't get, like, the time to meld together like they do other teams. But the U.S., this is not a new team. You're not a new team. This is Australia. This is another one of those teams that we have to get through to get a gold. And they just caught us off bat. Straight up, second play of the game, try. Almost fourth play of the game, try. Seventh play of the game, try. It made no sense how fast Australia was going. And it's not, again, Australia is a great team. Number two, number two, three in the world, typically, when it comes to women's uh, rugby. Obviously, the number one wants to beat. New Zealand, obviously, has the number one to be able to beat. England is up there at times, too. But Australia is one that we had locked in for a while. And it's not even like, like I said, we're not testing people out. It was just, it felt out of rhythm. There was a play where Naya had a huge breakaway, and there was nobody around. No support anywhere around her. And obviously it led to a turnover that actually led to a try. Like, 
that first half was just a slaughter, a 23-0 slaughter. You know, it wasn't until Ariana Ramsey came in in the second half to be able to, you know, go ahead and see, you know, actually show some sign of life, speed, breakaway, and be able to do something with it. But before that point, oh, man, what 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 are we doing? What are we doing, women? Like, we, this is a team that actually is primed for gold. But we're looking like we're going to get the same thing at 22, uh, uh, like we did in 2021, the 2020 Olympics. And we finished seventh place in this Dubai tournament. Mind you, I know we got a lot of tournaments left to go. It's not, the, it's just the first one. It's not important. Australia never loses in the quarterfinals in Dubai. The, 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 we don't. This is, this is our, this is our kickoff. Beating Brazil 38 to 7 is not something that we need to hold our hats on. Like, shout out to Brazil for being in this, by the way. But beating Brazil 38 to 7 is not where we're at. This is where we could have been at in 2017, 2019, maybe. But 2020, 2021, 22, 2023, no, no. Going to 2024, we need to be better off rip. There's only so much testing that we can do. So for me, I, I was I was greatly disappointed as a fan, as a supporter, because I felt like this is this is our all-star team. Most of these women are probably not going to be able to play at the highest level for the next Olympics for 2020, what, 2028? You know, it, it's not because they're going to be mid-30s, early mid-30s at that point. And if we haven't dynamically pushed in more talent, we're going to keep falling behind <laughs> like it's that serious that this is. So the start on Dubai 7s is going to be good. We'll talk about Cape Town next. But this start for Dubai 7s is not – I'm not happy with what they've done on this one. Now, for the men's side, which has been, I'm not going to lie, perpetually disappointing. Again, again, a team that has all the tools. We had a great pool in uh, taking on U.S. Uh, – Fiji, France, and uh, – Fiji, France – and Great Britain, all right? Great pool, all right? Again, Great Britain team that is basically uh, really trying to figure itself all the way out. A French a French team that is basically hit or miss depending on what they're feeling like. You know, they, they, they choke whenever it matters most. And then you got a Fiji team that, I mean, that Fiji's always dominant. Like, Fiji's always dominant. But that's, again, if you're looking for gold, this is who? South Africa, New Zealand, Fiji. Argentina. These are the teams that we have to be able to beat to be able to get our gold. These are the ones that would make the most difference. And once again, we ended in an eighth place finish, just like we did in the Olympics, just like we did. And we're just following that same path. Once we start off slow, maybe around London, well, what would have been London at the time, what around we would start to see an increase and be able to maybe win that one. Los Angeles come in in the top three and then fall off somewhere around Hong Kong and, you know, kind of like eh, end up in like sixth, seventh place again, despite the fact that we have so much hype. But this was, again, this is a slightly different team, you know, and why am I not as angry as I would be with the women's team? Not as high as expectations, just not as high as expectations, you know, um, with the men, you know, again, the biggest talk was the return of Madison Hughes. It's great. We got our, you know, scrum half back. Aaron Cummings returned, who's been seen more play over the last uh, year and a half, two years. Um, uh, Malachi Easdale, I feel, is easily the most dynamic player for the USA right now. Uh, ben Pinkelman, a nice return back to sevens. But for the most part, we got a fairly new team going on here. Not that 
new in the sense of like they haven't played other games before, but new in the sense of like this is going to be the first Olympics with this crowd and obviously very much missing in this is perry baker who i think is you know still recovering from injury so we we have to see where that goes but we need to also watch for where our dynamic players are um <laughs> this is another one where the usa men end in eighth place all right we ended in eighth place and it's just you you, you kind of get tired of feeling like the hype and it's been like this Every year, whenever we get into Olympic year, especially because that's the only one that matters. Like since 2016, even though HSBC has been going on since what 2009, 2007, something like that. Uh, the the seven series, like it, the seven series as a whole doesn't matter. In especially once it's getting to the Olympic season, the Olympics is when this is all culminates together. So we're, we're kicking off a great, you know, solid match against USA, uh, against Fiji, for losing 14-21. Then absolutely dominate Great Britain, which is dealing with a whole new set of people. They got a whole new roster. Uh, obviously have to come back together. USA dominates them 36-12. to Great win over France, as it should have been. USA 26 over 14 France. And this is where it's like now goes to this is the place where we're supposed to be. And this is why I said I'm not as disappointed, but it's also my expectations were less. It was a USA versus New Zealand game. And this is a game that we need to have so that we can actually play at the highest levels, right? This is the ones that we need to be able to actually do damage with. Watching that game, you can see the USA has legitimate athletic talent, like legitimate athletic talent. Not a whole lot of experience, but legitimate athletic talent. They got the speed. They're just still working on synchronization. Still working on the synchronization. You have a person like Malachi Easdale who just absolutely is a dynamic fire pop because you need that speed. Like we've been, we have, we've, we had the speed when we had Perry and Carlin Isles, but you know, on one hand it was, oh, Perry Baker, he's got one, but Perry and Carlin can never be on the field at the same time. And, you know, we would have, uh, uh, you know, when we brought in um dude from Ohio State, uh, came in, uh, you know, a little bit of speed on the edge for him as well, too. But it wasn't like we, we had the dynamic, but then all our stuff was our, our movement and flow. We're back to movement and flow issues again. Speed for days. We we got we have a talented bunch. We got the speed. But, man, it's 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 a little bit late to be trying to figure out, like, if we got an Olympic team yet, because we should be having this together. And I think we still need to qualify for the Olympics. I mean, I think we'll obviously get it whenever we do, um, uh, uh, what did it go? Ran America's, you know, Olympic qualifier, which I think we already did. Never mind. We already qualified. We did the Iran. So this, it's like a nothing qualification. It's a nothing qualification, you know. But it's like, yo, we need to get the guys used to each other consistently and like start off hot and be able to beat or at least score on these New Zealand teams, these Australia teams. Now, you know, losing to Australia 12 to 26, that's a team that we need to beat. That's a team. And Australia <laughs> sevens has been down. <laughs> They're going down. So, uh, you know, I didn't look at the roster for Australia. I don't know if, if, if Quade Cooper's already back on there, or I'm sorry, Michael Cooper is back on or whatnot, but. You know, I'm I'm interested to see that like this U.S. team. Are we going to see dynamic improvement and see if we can actually get a top five finish? Like we we taught, we got the athlete. This is our sport. This is the one 
code of rugby that we should have the greatest lock on. It's it's seven. So, uh, you know, final standings for this, you know, South Africa ended up winning Dubai sevens in this one. Obviously, Cape Town comes up next. Uh, so they're going back home. Argentina, like I said, is been the contender. They've been the dark horse that has been rising all that speed on the edge. So much speed on the edge. But for the U.S., it's kicking off early. I just want us as a, a country team to actually just, like, kick off with some fire. You know, for the women, Australia, New Zealand, France, Canada, top fours, usually just matriculates between those four. The I, surprising one with Ireland at fifth it was actually kind of uh, – at sixth, I'm sorry, is shocking. Fiji women, that has been a monumental rise, all right? If you guys had seen them in 2014 at Atlanta Sevens like I did versus what you saw at 2021 in the Olympics and what they've been doing since then, night and day difference. That's what I call utilizing the experience and the time to be able to develop the program into a dominant team. Like they have an identity to them. And I'm not going to say that the USA women don't have an identity. I think they do. I just don't like that they're not executing it to the extent that they really should because of all they have literally all the pieces together. All the, this is senior year for the USA women. It's like junior, sophomore year for the men, especially if Perry Baker doesn't come back anytime soon. Like, this is like junior year. You know, the Rugby World Cup sevens was already a catastrophe in and of itself. You know, like, I, I just, this is lower expectations. So I know some people might be like, yo, why are you being more harsh on the women than you are on the men? Because I got better expectations for the women. I have better expectations. That is a top four, top three team on paper by experience, by every resume, by every metrics of the resume, but they're not acting. And if, God forbid, Great Britain gets their stuff together and Jasmine Joyce out here burning us off the edges again, like, I might have to throw bottles at the wall. Like, it's it's, it's ridiculous. We be better. We can be better, <laughs> all right? Now, as a result of this, we got Cape Town Sevens coming up next, right? Cape Town Sevens, obviously, South Africa, and we always do these in the back-to-back. So usually this is where you start to see the adjustments from the previous series. Uh, so whatever happens in Dubai 7, you tend to have an opposite effect uh, for uh, for for Cape Town 7s. Uh, for the U.S., they got Great Britain again in their pool, Ireland, and South Africa. Um, honestly, it, again, they should at least get two wins out of this like they did in, um, against, uh, uh, in their pool for uh what do you call it in their pool for for um from dubai sevens they should at least be able to get that same thing um south africa is just a monster coming in together uh an absolute monster yo a great comment yo caleb jones uh saying yo we also lost uh stills to football guy had great potential if he comes back devon stills for the men's side another dynamic piece that was lost within the usa men again this is junior season Uh, maybe sophomore maybe sophomore we can call it like that but for the men's side absolutely should have at least another quarterfinals completion and they should be able to see either uh fiji or australia again in the quarterfinals like i i have all the expectations because pool b is argentina fiji france spain um and uh pool pool c is australia uh canada new zealand and samoa so it's 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 not it, it looks like it will probably end up being somewhere about the same people in the quarterfinals. Uh, 
New Zealand, Australia from Pool C, uh, Fiji, Argentina, and it should be USA and South Africa going to the quarterfinals uh, for the men's side. I'm looking most likely that we'll probably get uh, Fiji uh, to be able to get the win in this one. This is just my thoughts. I think Fiji tends to have to require levels of buildup, especially when they're on travel. And some of these guys have come over from the Rugby World Cup and doing it so they they make sense to need a little bit more rest to build up it'll either be fiji or new zealand in my opinion that will end up going uh winning the finals um overall for the women's side um they're gonna be usa uh will be in the pool with um with in pool c going against canada france and south africa uh again this is a tough one all right now this is where it goes yo are you able to step up this is a pool that we just two teams that we just lost to in Cape in Dubai Sevens, two top six teams in there. Uh, South Africa women, I, I just they're they're still developing. They're still developing. Um, that program has gotten stronger. Kudos to South Africa for uh, properly starting to fund the women's side as well uh, and and see that team build up incrementally. Uh, Canada and France, USA versus Canada tends to always be like a crapshoot. Um, I do feel like USA will probably end up taking out Canada as a result of the loss. Uh, the French team, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, and um, you have to hope that uh, this French team is, you know, not going to be getting their gazelle leg runs going through again like they've done in past ones. Um, USA, I, I guess the adjustment needs to be made here. I expect them to come out of this into the quarterfinals. Um, but this is going to be probably their toughest one. Uh, the other pools are going to be, or Pool A features Australia, Fiji women, Japan, and Spain. It's going to end up being Australia and Fiji. Uh, pool B will be Brazil, Great Britain, Ireland, and New Zealand. Uh, most likely, it will be New Zealand and Ireland. But, man, don't underestimate Great Britain. And Brazil is, is scrappy. I don't think either of those two can do anything to New Zealand. Um, not at this point. I think Ireland is his toss-up. I think Ireland was kind of a surprise for getting out of the quarterfinals and finishing, getting into the semifinals uh, for what it's worth. I, I thought that was actually kind of shocking, uh, to say the least. Uh, Great Britain, again, it's it's getting their timing together. When you got, uh, what is it, Amy Thomas, and uh, you got, like I said, Jasmine Joyce, who is just little mighty mouse happening over there you know I, I i fully expect them to to get themselves in in check so uh, i'm still predicting that it's going to end up being new zealand and ireland but man if you told me otherwise uh if you told me it's new zealand and great britain i wouldn't be surprised in fact i might go that i'm gonna say new zealand and great britain i'm gonna come out of this one over ireland and brazil Moving into the quarterfinals for for this 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 uh, Cape Town Sevens and uh, gonna end up winning. I think New Zealand will end up taking this one. I think Australia will pull back a little bit. Uh, I don't think Canada is gonna get over the top on this one. And I expect the USA to be competitive in the semifinals. Probably lose to New Zealand. Uh, competitive in the quarterfinals. Probably lose to New Zealand in the semifinals. So that's my thoughts on all of this. Uh, Yo, uh, if you guys need to know, uh, Cape Town 7s, it's getting played. <laughs> so this is the, the change from the past where it would be on one of the major distribution channels across board. I think uh, World Rugby is seeing that there's not a lot of distributors wanting to pay 
for this as much anymore. So, or, and thank God it's not on uh, Flow Rugby anymore either. So look for Cape Town 7s to be on Rugby Pass TV, which you guys can get for free. It costs nothing. It is now the digital head for World Rugby. Uh, no longer a subscription service, at least as of now. Uh, men will be playing uh, Ireland, South Africa, Great Britain. There's a time, 3.50 a.m. Eastern Time, 7.12 a.m. Uh, Eastern Time against South Africa, and 12.12 p.m. Eastern Time against Great Britain. And then Sunday are the quarterfinals and semifinals of December 10th. And the women will be playing um, Canada, France, South Africa. As we mentioned before, they'll be playing Canada at 2.44 a.m. Eastern Time on Saturday, France, 4.56 a.m. Eastern Time, and South Africa, 9.38 Eastern Time uh on saturday again watch on rugby pass the semifinals and final rounds in the u.s will be played on peacock in brazil they'll be played on star i think a lot of places have star um and then i don't know for any other country because i don't care so <laughs> like you guys can figure it out but uh rugby pass definitely is getting the early rounds which i think is actually a good plan it's not the heaviest watch and there's not a lot of it because it's not one and done typically it's very difficult for people to want to give full attention into it but you can also catch all the highlights and a lot of the replay is on rugby pass tv too so again i give credit where credit is due making the game a lot more accessible even if i don't agree with hardly anything world rugby does this is something that i agree with i enjoy it i'm happy for them for this one so this is really really good it is really really good to be able to uh uh have see this one get placed into into it um, all right, guys. So let me know what you guys think. Uh, I I, I want to know, like, where do you feel like this sevens teams are going to go for the U.S.? Or if you're for another country, yo, where do you feel like this is going to be making the biggest difference? Let me know. You guys obviously can talk in the chat on Facebook, on YouTube, or on Twitch. Uh, let me know what you guys are thinking. Love the engagement. Love having the conversation. Of course, you guys can always hit us up in the comments afterward. If you, as you know, I love responding in the comments. Sometimes it might take me a couple days, but you know, it's it it is what it is. You know, I'm I'm make sure to answer and do the best that I can to be able to get everything going the way that it needs to get going because that's that's what we're doing, right? We want to be able to engage. That's how we continue to progress the game and make sure that it didn't fall uh, due to malfeasance that is occurring in in respective areas of of uh, you know the industry of rugby. So, all right, y'all, we got ads now. All right, we got ads. We're going to be right back with our next story. Yo, what is going on in MLR? Going to break it down, talk it up. Man, the funerals are, are just getting a little bit too heavy in the MLR, man. But, guys, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, this is just the break train sitting out a personal little video diary to all you people out there where I am going to document me riding most of the way between Singapore and Tokyo for the 2019 Rugby World Cup. I needed help, and it came from Louisiana. We in Singapore, baby! Gift from Gift Time Rugby USA is an extroverted tour de force. But what unites us is a hunger for adventure. Off the KL, Kuala Lumpur. Gift, where are we? We're in Our love of Asian rugby culture. One, two, three, step yeah! 
rugby is, is starting to develop here in Cambodia for women as well. Valkyries, the mighty, mighty Valkyries. We're out here, we're running out of energy, we're running out of money, and we're feeling isolated. And yet at that critical moment, friends, family, sometimes complete strangers come on board. Before you know it, we're back in the game. Tokyo, here we come. Malaysia, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam. Watch the full adventure at crugby.vhx.tv. That's C like S-E-E rugby.vhx.tv. Welcome, welcome back, y'all. Look, man, look, I don't know if you guys know. Typically, we don't do these things on Thursday. You know, it's typically a Wednesday, but traveling back from Thanksgiving break up with New Jersey. I hope you guys also had a great Thanksgiving break as well. You know, being able to enjoy yourselves, uh, being able to spend time with family. I always love it and uh, being able to have it. But as a result, uh, we also had a hell of a time getting back. Uh, American Airlines. Uh, y'all, I don't think there's much left that needs to be said. A lot of people have probably said it in the past, but y'all are not good. Like, how do you guys get the smallest seats in the plane? Like, I, I'll be aware. I mean, it's cheap. It's not spirit and frontier bad, but it's literally like right, right at that level. Um, but you know, it, it, it is what it is. Uh, they, they cost us a flight and we had to stay in Miami for an extra day. So yeah was the worst the worst thing that could happen from there is got to stay in Miami, even though I'm Brazil and most of the beaches are still better here. But as a result, was had to push this back, but I wanted to make sure I got this to you guys uh, because I just want to talk about what this next subject is about to be about because uh, this one is a real one all the way through. Um, and that is the demise of Rugby New York. What the if you guys don't know, the rugby New York iron workers of major league rugby had to call it. Yo, they said we done. We're done. We can't do this anymore. This is the second team. We just talked about this a couple weeks ago. Last week, second team in 10 days uh, with the Toronto Arrows shutting down into MLR, effectively creating the fear and the doubt and the concern that. Yo, is MLR still going to be holding on? Can, can we still keep this going on? So before, you know, we kind of delve into, you know, breaking down an analysis of what this is, let's kind of talk about what's, what's happening here right now. All right. So with the MLR, we have obviously a startup league started 2018. So it's still fairly young, trying to find their way. The concept of it was basically initially supposed to be uh, teams that were already established. If you guys remember from pro rugby back in 2016, uh, 2017, before that became a whole controversy, uh, the idea with them was a single owner who controlled multiple teams, a central place, and then these teams are basically uh, at the behest of that. MLR came with the other side of it and said, hey, let's go with the more uh, U.S. American sports model, traditional model of individual franchise owners, and we're going to build them off from already established clubs, right? So you had um, well-off, not going to necessarily say wealthy, but well-off owners uh, who were willing to invest in putting together this pro professional team. And the hopes is that with the professional team, be able to 
Uh, I think at the time, be able to woo the Rugby World Cup 2031 as well, but also increase the development and and provide a 24-7 capability for players to be able to grow and develop in the U.S. and be able to have our competition equivalent to Premier League Rugby, Premier Rugby, Top 14, Super Rugby, uh, Japan League One, any of those, right? And, And we would have already had an internal connection with it because they were based off of clubs. And of course, as things evolve, you know, you you realize that you have to rebrand and kind of separate. And so you had this dynamicness of, you know, the Seattle's, uh, San Diego's initially, Denver before they disassociated themselves, uh, Austin, obviously, before that whole situation happened, um, New Orleans, Atlanta, uh, Boston and and eventually New York would come um, in what, 2019. So. Uh, it, 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 it made sense from a passionate standpoint that this is something that could be possible. And, and it was something that I think was needed. We've been, I mean, it had been very consistent trying to get a pro league and professionalization in rugby in terms of league is only what barely 26 years old, 1994, 1995 officially is when it happened. So we're, we're talking 28 years old, almost 30 years old of professionalization of rugby legally. <laughs> legally um uh you know there's you know people getting money under the table obviously rugby league had been doing it themselves for a while but rugby league rugby union two different elements so why are we at this point right now because we are to say the least within something of a a a, a rugby recession um a lot of people feel like this is something that's happening with MLR but the reality is you know this is a worldwide concept that's going on uh if you don't know previously with premiership rugby they officially lost two teams and a definitely though not premiership a third team that was i think said to be urc in the london irish so the worcester warriors in uh in 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 premiership rugby the wasps and then the london irish three traditional uh generational teams been around for 100 years, um, all three folded, all three folded. Uh, and so this this worry of like singularity of American rugby not working is not something that is just singular to us. Um, but as I've understood it, when it comes to the, you know, MLR's model, there's been, you know, the reality of what it is to run a pro team. And I think there's some differences that obviously come between running a pro team in 1962 or 1952 uh, or 1932 versus running a pro team in 2023, uh, 2018, and definitely in the post-pandemic uh, era, 2020, 2021, 2022, Night and day differences, you know, different costs, different requirements. The viewers are different. The environment is different. The culture is different. It is hard to do it plus in the u.s obviously we're the proverbial masters of sports entertainment uh across board we have more sports that are professionalized or at the top of entertainment than probably any other country in the world you 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 can say soccer obviously is the number one sport in terms of professionalization in the world but the nfl is the number one professional sport in terms of profitability in games so shoot premiership rugby premiership soccer was created as a derivative because of what they saw the NFL doing itself. So 
when you're talking about U.S. sports, you have expectations that have to be made, and everybody has a movement that goes with it, uh, whether you were NBA, NFL, uh, NHL, MLS, expectations that go with it. Um, but with that, it also comes certain requirements. Uh, a lot of people, if you look at it from the surface up, you're talking about, hey, we just need to get on ESPN, uh, uh, get our people to go support, and you know we'll make this work. We'll get this going. Unfortunately, there's more to the game than that, and this is what New York has come into it. Um, you know, with the creation, many many wealthy people and wealthy investor groups put into the MLR. You know, uh, if you guys know the history of NL, uh, of of New York, it started off with um, uh, uh, I can't remember the name. the guy who does construction. Uh, it got sold off to a investor group, including uh, one of the top 14 billionaires, uh, top 14 um, oh, rugby owners who's a billionaire, invested in it. And this was now where the next sell-off was going to be. Uh, in addition to that, uh, obviously, there is a payment fee, of, you know, the franchise fee that goes into uh, putting into the MLR to be able to support it, get the club. Uh, definitely is significantly higher now than it was uh, at the 200,000 level that it was uh, going into 2018. I think uh, from what I heard last, it's somewhere between five and 10 million uh, to be able to put in for a team. Um, but also the costs have been heavy and every state has a different set of costs and a different set of requirements. Um, but luckily there was a big pool that was happening. It all really started falling apart we know the situation with the Gil, uh, um, uh, Gil, uh, not Gilgroni, Giltini, with with the Giltini, uh, Gilchrist, you know, situation with um, his whole wealth and franchise and business system crumbling underneath him in Australia, hence releasing out Australia, uh, Austin Gilgronis and the Los Angeles Giltinis. But the real hit for MLR really took place in August with the passing of Bill Webb. And I know I'm, I'm being long-winded because this is a podcast, so I can't. But it's very important to understand what these dynamics are going into it. So the loss of Bill Webb was, one, having Bill Webb, who's one of the wealthiest owners in rugby. Like, a lot of people who know who he was, I didn't get to know him, unfortunately. But people who've talked about him to say how amazing of a guy he is, how dedicated of a rugby player is. And this was his passion project. So this man was helping to fund uh, MLR. Uh, I've heard things like when it came to the workers' comp situation, Canada doesn't require a workers' comp situation because they have the free health care, but he was willing to put in, Bill Webb was willing to put in for that so that the rest of the teams in the U.S. could be able to hold that up because it's cheaper when you do it in groups versus do it as individuals. Um, you know, many of the, Follies that would be happening with it, um, with 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 MLR was able to get covered up because the man had the money to be able to hold it off. He's a legit billionaire. He was a legit billionaire. Um, but you know, when he passed, you know, while it was in his will to want to you know keep the MLR team together, uh, you know, he's got investment managers that are there to hold the trust together. Uh, that it distributes money for the rest of forever or as long as money is available for his wife and kids and his kids' kids and his kids' kids' kids. Like, this is the point of it. And they did not feel like 
Toronto Arrows were a worthy investment. And obviously, boom, we lose them because investors didn't put in. And then we're having a similar situation with, with, uh, with New York. New York is a team that obviously is in a great market, um, but great market potentially. <laughs> great market in theory, uh, but it's not necessarily the greatest market uh, when it comes to being able to monetize itself. Obviously, one of the biggest issues is stadium space. Um, another issue is practice space. New York City isn't exactly known for its massive amount of <laughs> field space available to it. Uh, and it's costly. It's costly. So whenever you're talking about the MLR teams, and like I said, every team has different expenses. But when you're talking about the MLR teams and what the level of support and what they're doing and how they get things on, it costs a lot. And as of today, there's been estimates that the MLR is losing somewhere around $50 million per year. Per year. Now, let me tell the other side. It's probably only making about $2 million per year collectively. You know, and, and that might be pushing it. So when you're talking about bringing people in to invest, what are they trying to be able to invest in? And this this plays into very heavily into what what is the problems that are going on. So New York had a couple capital calls. A capital call is basically whenever you are able to bring the money required to continue your either your franchise fee or your set fee, you know, bring your money to be able to do this next year rotation of, of rugby, be able to take care of your bills uh, because MLR is a collective. So all the money is pooled together and the players are play, are paid out of that collective. Um, you know, administrative fees are taken out of that collective. So the MLR actually, from what I understand, had actually missed a couple capital calls before Thanksgiving. In fact, they actually missed their deadline was supposed to be on Black Friday. But because the Toronto situation had happened, allegedly, well, the Toronto situation happened, but allegedly, they wanted to give an extension to be able to find their investors to be able to put in for this group. And apparently they had a group that was on hand. But one of the investors jumped out because they did not feel like this was a comfortable or viable um, investment for them to be able to do. They just were not seeing the line to profitability. And so with this extension that happened after Black Friday, the hope was they were going to be able to replace that investor. Well, it looks like there is a chance that they lost another person within it. Allegedly. This is this is what I'm hearing around the around the scope. Got peoples around. All right. Been in this for a while. So I got my peoples around. But um. I, 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 they lost it. So now you're looking not just for one, for two investors to be able to significantly finish up this capital call that's going on so that rugby New York can continue. And if you guys have been paying attention, while many teams have been announcing, you know, sources, uh, transfers, trades, signings, uh, et cetera, New York has been very, very quiet, very, very quiet about who they can. And, and it's very significant to understand, like, you're not just talking about, oh, man, it's a player that's here in this state and moving to over here and here and over here. No, we're also talking about visas for players, for staff, uh, for coaches. That all has to be paid in advance. It's stadium fees. It's, it's everything. So this was being held up not just for the capital call, but to be able to also move on with everything else going on. 
unfortunately, they weren't able to make that capital call. And and it's it happens when people say this is something that goes on with uh, growing pains of the sport. This is factually true. This is something that happens with growing pains with the sport. But it only happens if your model is something that's a work in progress. And I think as of right now, we we have a lot of issues on it. Now, there are, there's a lot of teams that that have felt like, you know, maybe maybe the MLR is 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 you know, getting their stuff together and and you got to give shout outs to them. You, you got to hold up for your people, but again, a lot of this issue comes into what is the model for it. Now, uh, what are the things that the teams responded? I want to talk about this because I, I think it's important to see uh, where where thoughts and minds are going uh, when it comes to this. Uh, one was from uh, the Utah Warriors. Um, the Utah Warriors with this. And for them, you know, they they threw out uh, Kajar, uh, Kimball Kajar, who, again, is one of the co-founders. He's a business guy. He understands. Um, obviously startups and and he wrote a nice little letter warrior nation i'm gonna read it out to you guys warrior nation my professional background is and always has been in startup companies while they are exciting they are also hard with major league rugby's recent news regarding new york dissolving and in context of toronto's unfortunate and saddening situation with bill webb's passing i can't underscore enough that this is one of those hard moments that all startups face Despite the two teams' reasons for withdrawal from the MLR being wholly separate and unique, we acknowledge that this puts a lot of lives in very rough spots, and we hope to support any and all players and staff from Toronto, New York, where and however we can. We also know these teams built and were a part of two amazing rugby communities, and we feel for you at this time. All professional sports leagues face these early days startup challenges. The MLS, the NBA, and the juggernaut of the NFL saw growth, contraction, dissolution of teams, and everything in between between their respective formative years. To think that the MLR would be any different would be foolish. The Utah Warriors, along with the other 10 amazing ownership groups and teams in the MLR, are committed to growing this amazing professional sports league in the world, into the world's most exciting and competitive sports and entertainment market of North America. Although today is a bad day uh, for everyone. Sorry, my eyes are going out a little bit, so bear with me. Uh, bad day for everyone. Uh, within the New York comp, uh, community. Um, yeah, I'm getting old. I can't see the rest of it because my eyes are tired from looking at the screen. Anyways, the point is, yada, 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 we're doing stuff. We get things going on, and uh, the MLR will be able to continue. Just wait and give us patience. Basically, the gist of it, if you may. Um, so, like I said, it, it, it's something that is, is you could say, is a normal constriction. <sighs> but it's not. This, this isn't normal because we're not in normal situations. If this was in 2000 or in, in, in 2010 even, where the idea is we need to reach eyes with those eyes we want to be able to sell product with those products we want to uh, get distribution deals distribution being you know from television ESPN Fox whatever uh, and they pay us and then we pay our players off of that and we can create our salary cap and we increase and develop this is how everybody else did it you know we can talk about the NBA in 1979 
that was being doing televised championships until Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Lakers versus Boston championship happening. But the thing, fact of the matter is they actually still had deals in terms of uh, their CBS contracts. Not very many. And also the environment for sporting was much different, much more constricted. So people are more likely to make it. But obviously we did have a lot of teams that came in and came out, especially after the ABA NBA merger. Um, you know, we can talk about the NFL and of course they've had in recent years, addition of teams, movement of teams, especially in the nineties. But once again, you had TV contracts, Fox in 1993, you had CBS and ABC since 1960 something. You had college rugby that was already a transitioning point. So people already had kind of a method and culture for it. So we're not talking apples to apples. In this, when we're talking about the constriction and restriction of, of, of MLR. And in this day and age, media rights are getting incredibly difficult to be able to have. Incredibly, incredibly difficult to be able to attain. So it, 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 it's not exactly the same. And then you add one additional caveat, because now that you've gone from 13 teams to down to 11, you have one additional caveat. The increase of the players union that will substantially increase whatever the cost will be now a statement from the players union i found it on rugbyunionnow.com uh you can find it. i actually found it on x and then they were on.com i don't want to look at their website but a great statement uh by chris matina uh where it says we are more than pawns uh uh, in a chess game and are tired of waking up to the news that we have been removed from the board we're human and have families that count on us and pay bills paid bills which is completely fair the players need a the players need some stability in their lives um, Nick Savetta, who's the USA Rugby Players Association chair, uh, said this has never been about players wanting more money. Our campaign is solely focused on driving the league to sit down and have honest conversations about uh, uh, with the players about how we can move the game forward in a way that prioritizes player welfare, contract security and safety. All that is true. All that is true. But the reality is it is about money as well, too. And that's what's making this scared. You want to ask why are the investors dropping out? because of the fact that they're scared of what the players union uh, creation is. And I'm not, once again, not saying the players union shouldn't be created. Players union absolutely needs to be created because obviously you get dicked around way too many times. Like it's, it's, it's too difficult for grown folks with families to be able to substan uh, substantially maintain uh, uh, um, their families, uh, maintain equitable pay as per necessary, um, and to be able to predict where they are. There are people who have left you know, rugby professionally because they were just like, this isn't worth it. This isn't worth it, you know? So that's that's nothing against them in that. But again, note what I said, before, I told you before, the economics have not been good. The MLR is losing 50 million a year, making 2 million a year. The pays are, you know, equating to that and the stability of where players go are equating to that. Now, uh, probably could do something about the stability and the equitability of that, but, you know, the lack of health insurance, uh, you know, uncertainty in, in, in housing and living, like obviously players that come from overseas visas, like it's so much that's going on. So you add this component in and it becomes, it becomes a heart attack. It becomes a heart attack because again, the model for doing rugby as it was before, not rugby, but doing a sports business as it was before is not the same. Streaming has completely changed the game. And the irony of having streaming where you have more access, you also are making less money 
on your your property. Why? Because there is more real estate available to be able to put the games on and to be able to do it. And hence, people are not paying as much. If you really truly believe that $7.99 a month, even if you have 100 million people, it's going to be able to hold the same as somebody who is getting um, $5.99 guaranteed for 150 million people uh, per channel uh, and and not even having to think about where that money is going to be coming from because yeah that plus your advertising income, I mean you're you're it's a whole different game now. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars that are no longer being sent out. We see the situation. If you paid attention, ESPN and Disney going through constriction, a concern that ESPN might get spun off from Disney again, uh, and and or ESPN becoming almost solely a digital channel because it's just not paying the bills like it used to, even though it was one of the most profitable elements. And especially because it's sports that has people attention because it's must see TV. Uh, it, it's very wild that it's not being able to hold. So, you know, all these deals, if you're not getting new deals in, it's not going to be consistent. And the model that the MLR has been using has been the same one that was used over the course of the last 50, 60 years. Build your audience, get sponsorships, get uh, uh, obviously sell tickets, and subsequently get the TV deals. TV deals being the greatest cost, uh, greatest earning potential. Uh, that's what it, like for the NFL. NFL doesn't care that much about um, doesn't care that much about fans in the stadiums like they did before because they get guaranteed TV money. You know, but they also have an audience of 150 million and then some. Uh, but that's not what happened with MLR. The audience for the USA is significantly smaller than what's being predicted. I know we got numbers like 2 million, 4 million that's out there. Clearly significantly smaller. You know, clearly significantly smaller. Any numbers that you can see, even whenever you look at the biggest games, when their Nielsen ratings or the data ratings come in, it's not the same. So, when you're looking at what's happening with Rugby New York and they're not getting investors or people not wanting to be able to put more money into this, this is the issue that's happening right now. The model is completely jacked up, completely jacked up. And if it continues as such, it's very difficult for it to be able to continue towards any level of profitability, let alone break even. I forgot to even talk about the fact that Atlanta shut down. Uh, mind you, moved up to Los Angeles, you know, uh, technically. But, um, you know, it, it it's part of that issue. People don't want to pay for this because it's just not returning and they don't see a future in it. And the whole idea of this was that it sets it up so that we can get the Rugby World Cup. And from the Rugby World Cup, we're going to mimic what happened in 1996 where the uh, World Cup came to Atlanta and there was a surge in soccer participation going into uh, 1997. And MLS was now created to be able to withstand and hold and yada, yada. And now we're at this point where it is still, you know, bottom league in terms of world comparison, but, you know, more profitable because the franchise price has gone up. It's actually only starting to get a little bit more popular amongst younger people. But the idea has been within this element, and it doesn't work for rugby. It doesn't work for rugby because the idea for rugby needed to be on the factor that you need to be innovative. So I say this, all right, we, we can talk critique for days. Everybody has a negative critique that has to go with everything that goes with rugby 
and and I, I, I can do it. So I want to provide some solutions. I want to provide some solutions for some people to be able to go ahead and get their idea of what needs to be done with this. So this is my opinion of what needs to be done that the MLR and subsequently rugby, because this is a worldwide event. This is hitting premiership rugby. Uh, people will say, oh, top 14 in Japan League One are protected. They're not. Top 14 gets buku billionaires. They have billionaires that just spend, 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 but they just can't have any debt. So they are constantly spending. It is an ego game, similar to what was happening in Russia maybe about 15 years ago. It's an ego game, but uh, and Japan League One is now officially separated out from the corporation, so it doesn't run in the same factor as it did pre-Rugby World Cup because they wanted to change the model for that. So like I said, I want to talk about what are some solutions that MLR needs to do and subsequently rugby needs to do so that they can save themselves and subsequently we can save rugby and the development and upward mobility that rugby should absolutely be having as a result of this, all right? So number one that I can say right off the bat, number one right off the bat, yo, we need to invest in the children. All right, now, before everybody goes, oh, no, there's academies. Oh, my goodness, we're already doing that. Hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm not saying that that's wrong. The academies have been good. I think it was a great thing for the MLR academies to um, actively, you know, put, be created as a result. I think the problem that's been had is that the academies are far more of a recruiting base than they are a development base. All right. So Utah Warriors, I think, have a great element for it. Uh, the Utah Warriors... Uh, because Utah actually has a really good rugby system. Uh, they have a great U12, U8 going up to club and subsequently to the professional side. Uh, that's something that needs to be replicated across board because it's not just to be able to get players, but it's to be able to get our viewing base over the course of the next 20 years. Uh, the reason why a lot of these other sports that had professional leagues were able to sustain despite any constriction or problems that they had is that they already had an entry point because they already had a young viewer base. Again, we talk about the NFL. The NFL was der derived because of the popularity that college football had. And college football was way more popular than the NFL, way up until maybe the late 80s, early 90s, maybe early maybe late 70s, early 80s. It was way more popular than the NFL. And then around the 90s and then the early 2000s, the NFL absolutely overtook everybody absolutely overtook everybody but there was already that base that was kicked in from high school football to college football and the power and, and appeal of college football was what was able to sustain and the nfl as people were getting over the the ridiculous idea that professionalism is is a poor idea same thing that happened with basketball. You had already people pre-existingly playing basketball, and they subsequently uh, were able to go through the college system that held everything together, which meant that they needed recruits that was done through the high school system, which means that you started kids young and then was able to matriculate up until the NBA. In the USA particularly, in the USA particularly, we do not have a strong youth base. And the thing is, this is where the MLR really, it, when you're talking about that collective money, being done yes it needs to go into you know player welfare and standard but you had to you really needed to build on your youth base 
like you really needed to build on that youth base because without them, there's nothing moving forward. You can pay in and recruit early on, but if that part is not being fed, we're not going to have any consistency in terms of financing. All right. That's that's the first thing that I say that needed to get done uh, on 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 for MLR. Number two. Yo, you need to follow Ray Guy. Now, who's Ray Guy? Uh, I, I think if you guys uh, saw the movie The Founder, Ray Guy was the um, McDonald's, let's say, mastermind. Not the founder because two brothers found it. McDonald's brothers found it. But was a mastermind to the growth of the McDonald's franchises. All right? His idea was that there should be McDonald's everywhere. And and it is something that is now become the franchise model. But what was most important about what Ray Guy was doing was not that he was making the best burgers because we know McDonald's doesn't wasn't making the best food because that's not what McDonald's does. His thing was consistency, which we can all say, you know, field being being on the field, being able to play regularly. That's that's normal. But his other thing was real estate. You have to own the real estate. And then you can absolutely lease out to franchises where the franchises now become um, money makers in themselves. When it comes to MLR, it doesn't have a whole lot of real estate. Now, in rugby in total, there's obviously stadiums and just shared ones and et cetera like that. But one of the biggest drivers of money for, for professional sports teams are their stadium costs. Now, again, don't scar with me being like, yo, stadiums are expensive. We had a few. Houston Sabercats got one. Yes, yes. Houston Sabercats are definitely on the right, right arena when it comes to that. Stadiums are the number one thing that's needed, but that's not always possible. Nobody always has $150 million to put together a great stadium or even like a million dollars. Like it is a process to put a stadium together. Uh, and the U.S. has more stadiums per capita than probably any other country in the world. All right. We got stadiums for days with football. So we have to kind of work with the resources that we have. But it does not mean that we are limited to that real estate. Okay? So this is where I go to the MLR, all that money that had been feeding in that's going into, um, you know, production. I'm not going to production, but, like, that, that that's going into pooling the best players from overseas to uh, provide a level of credibility. Should have been going into real estate. Now, what other real estate am I talking about? Yo, uh, and, and uh, you know, Tony Rendell, who is a former uh, player, if you guys don't know, out of Seattle, great guy. He said it perfectly. Rugby in the United States must become a real estate play. You guys can see his full thing on uh, on Facebook. Uh, just look up his name. It's, it's, it's pretty easy to be able to find. But I, I just wanted to highlight the fact that he was like, yo, we need to get the real estate. And he's like, the Sabercats had the right ownership because they can benefit from non-rugby events, 100%. But there's other real estate, like restaurants. W what does that mean? It's a place that secures um, uh, um, additional streams of income. And some of these are not my ideas. Some of these come from friends and, and discussions. A lot of these are my ideas, though. But some of these like this are not, not necessarily always it. These are pretty common ideas. Uh, if you guys remember the UFC, you know, um, or let's, let's not even go UFC, ESPN, and they did their restaurants at the time. Mind you, they didn't end up working. But the idea was like, yo, you need to have a place where people can go that held your name. Maybe it's more of the Trump effect, where you lease your name on to restaurants, or you lease your titling on to 
uh, somebody else to be able to use it as an established spot where people can uh, give you new forms of income that are not just the game itself. So I use restaurants. It could be pubs. Those needed to get built. And not because of the fact that this is a tradition of rugby, but it's legitimately a place where additional streams, where if a person doesn't necessarily want to come to the rugby match, they can go to a rugby affiliated um, business and be able to create money for that business. And when you're talking about the level of money that's gone into, that comes from the investors that have gone into uh, MLR, and if you see the money that it comes from, yo, investing in some of these things would have been good. But hey, let's say you don't want to do a restaurant. You know, let's say restaurant is too much. Gyms. The UFC mastered this. I, I don't know if you guys have probably seen, especially in the US, UFC gyms are everywhere. What was the concept? Hey, I want to train like the fighters. Why? Let me go to the UFC gym. Everybody knows UFC gyms are basically just like CrossFit gyms. Uh, to some extent, they're boxing gyms to some extent. Um, you know, just they, they're not a completely new idea, but the perception of them were completely different. Why couldn't the MLR maybe not built a whole new franchise, but tried to work on saying a partnership lease with a gym franchise to say this is an MLR gym. You want to learn to play rugby like the pros? Come here, and that becomes a new source of revenue. You can use that for your club players. So now you can use them as members into your, your region. So if a person like – I'm using New Orleans because that's my home town area, uh, well, home state area. Um, but let's say like New Orleans had the capability. They had gone and gotten a gym like work with 24-hour fitness or we don't have an L.A. fitness or work with Planet Fitness and said this is the official MLR gym. All right? You want to learn to play rugby? Yo, you want to go to this gym. And, yo, if you have a rugby membership, yo, you can go ahead and get a discount over here. And the part of that will go for us, but we'll make sure that you're locked in. And this becomes part of your club fees. I, I remember talking to my boy Mick, who was talking about his club in Ireland, where for the cost of membership dues for rugby, uh, they would have access to the gyms, the lockers, multiple fields. Um, obviously, you have the pubs and everything. And it becomes like an actual place where people reside in, but most importantly, it's an additional revenue source that even if you don't play rugby, you can go there to feel like one of the rugby players because emotions are number one thing that get people going. Emotions are the number one that thing that get people buying. All right. So it would have been an additional revenue source. And then you can inoculate people into going to your games. You play the games, you play the replays inside your the, the, the locations. You are able to go ahead and, uh, you know, provide gear, provide access to support, provide uh, a, a, a location where people can say, oh, this is where I can go find other clubs, this is where I can train. And it's something that's scalable, too, because of the fact that you don't have to be locked into that uh, rental space, basically, that would be the stadium that you use, because if you don't have, you have the money to build a stadium, well, you're renting out the stadium which means you need to be able to have that. So not having real estate, not having something that was franchisable, not having something to be able to hold on to that you could use in addition to your, your actual league effects played in. This is something that should be done. This is something that needs to be flipped because, again, it builds your fan base. All right. Uh, number three, uh, Number three, you guys saw something in the wrong place. 
Number three, yo, you need to change your in-game entertainment. All right, this is one that I think was is a little bit closer to home, guys. You take a book, take a uh, uh, an excerpt from the book of Savannah Bananas. All right, now I'm not saying to go crazy and parody just like Savannah Bananas uh, as a minor league team, but we've seen the level of popularity that comes with being able to play up inside your stadium and create the experience for your home teams. Now, you know, I, I know sometimes music and you get a DJ from time to time, but I'm talking about like, is it entertainment? When you're talking about what did the NBA and the NFL do to be able to get up the NBA and MLB for major league baseball were notorious, notorious for the most wild, ridiculous in-game entertainment situations that ever happened what we're we talking about the t-shirt gun you know we're talking about the cheerleaders we're talking about the games in between this is what helped bring fans in and minor league baseball is now doing this to a further extent even you know nhl and uh nba still do these things in between we see them at the halftime the shot the puck hit uh uh you know, for football, throwing inside the, the hole, all these things still exist, but we're not doing them for the MLR. And I've been to a couple MLR games. Once again, talking on the announcers is one thing, but you've got to be able to put things that make people feel like children. Again, you've got to make people feel like children because they're at a game. And that's what helps the engagement that much more. So I feel like this is one that would have been much better for creating memorable effects. And like I said, Savant, Savannah Bananas have been able to completely change their entire revenue model as a result of being able to do this little concept. They became a whole touring minor league baseball team and just shot up their 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 revenue almost like 100% plus um, since where they were first bought. According to a, a franchise that was being mortgaged, that was held together by the housing house mortgage of the family that bought them, that clearly couldn't afford them. So... This has been the I want to say maybe the overly pureness of the of the sport happening. And it's it's you can't. And and again, this is passionate owners, passionate owners who played rugby or had an association with rugby wanting to be franchise owners. I get it. I get it. But you have to do better. And this is going to lead me into my next thing. Yo, it is time for a change. This one's going to be particularly harsh, and I'm going to disclaim this by saying I don't think the people that are working on it are bad people. I don't think that uh, uh, the people who are in these positions are 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 have not tried to put the best effort that they can, um, but I, I do not think that they are viable anymore for where you've been trying to go, and especially whenever it comes to trying to retain in new revenue sources for your franchises but it's time for you guys to fire your media your media team that's the people at the rugby network it's time to fire the administrative heads uh who run the rugby network who run your entertainment and creative for the mlr and administration they need to be fired they've done they've done the best they can for the last five years it has not worked because it is very clear very very clear Either their level of disconnect from the general public is evident or the inability to convince the owners 
to invest. One of those two things, because I can see where owners are using their own past history to be able to, you know, provide entertainment for the rest of the league versus when something modern is coming in. This is what I'm going to say is going to be very controversial, but your stuff is whack. The biggest thing that you guys did was uh, get you did was for the uh, championships last year at Red Bull Stadium. You brought in Shaq. You had uh, what was it? Not Fleetwood Mac. What's what's the Irish Irish band? The fast whatever that Irish band that everybody in European rugby love. Like you you brought them in. I get it. In, in the 80s, in the 90s, traditional rugby, Irish jigs and, and, and those chants and everything, that's, that's the key. That's the memory. That's the nostalgia. Man, when I tell you that does not make any sense in – hasn't made sense since 2010. Uh, let's be perfectly honest with you. Hasn't made sense since 2010. It definitely doesn't make sense in 2023, in the 2020s at all. Y'all, it is old. It is all, and dare I say, incredibly white. And I'm not just saying that as a racial element. I'm actually talking from a cultural standpoint. It is incomprehensibly wrong. And the only reason I say this is because you can see it. It is not engaging. Not engaging. I'm not even talking to a black audience or a mix. I'm talking about all audiences youth-wise. Yo, rugby right now, I would make the argument, probably has an average age of maybe 50 years old who are their viewers probably an average age which it shouldn't be we should have an average age of somewhere around 29 we should be lower uh than what uh hockey is we should definitely be lower than lacrosse and we should definitely be lower uh than the nba for damn sure nfl and mlb should be the oldest audiences because they have the greatest discretionary fund and they've been around the longest we should have a young audience and right now your media does not work for that all right other thing that needs to be found that needs to be changed in terms of the media as a result is that the mlr should function in the equivalency of a record label what does that mean all right a record label's job was at the time to be a bank for musicians. Now, I'm not saying about how, you know, screw over players or screw over artists. Or I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what the basic idea of it is, was that you find talent, you invest in talent, you develop talent, and then you sell the talent. And you are able to find new talent at a low cost rate, invest to be able to get a large return. When I look at the media that has been going on in rugby, um, we especially look on the rugby network you're getting the same seven people six people over and over and again i'm not saying they're not doing their job or they're not trying i'm just saying you have basically the same thing over and over and over and over not a near new talent has been found not a near new media personality that has been established has been added in there you barely develop anybody you literally, this is the equivalent of like world rugby not investing in squidge rugby, but it's taking them down. You literally have the capability at a low price to invest and then do it. Here's something that I would have told, said to do whenever you're discovering talent. Dude, yo, we need to create new programming, all right? 
Uh, and I'm, I'm going to go into programming a little bit later. We need to create new programming. We don't want to pay a whole lot of money for it. You can't keep doing this for free because you're not getting the, the production quality that you need to be able to get. But we need new ideas because we only know what we know. All right. We only know what you know. So why don't we do a, you know, $5,000 fund? All right. Have people send in shorts, short videos, like not like YouTube, like short ideas of what could be rugby programming. What could be a TV show on here? What could be a, a, a documentary or something? And then we'll judge that and we'll give out a thousand dollars for each one of these uh, for the winners, for five winners to be able to create this new program. And we'll give them a thousand to be able to develop a little bit more. I'm telling you, you get a whole different level of creativity. You have a whole different level of engagement. You have a whole different level of community that you add because now you've added the film and uh, film and acting community. You have people who have maybe not ever thought about it, trying to put stuff out. And even the ones that don't win, Oh, put out their stuff. Yo, let it be rated. Let it be voted on. Let it be seen. Give it the time. And now you get free content. You sign those personalities on top of that to your network. And then you go and say, look, you go ahead and make what we need. Make the program that you want and we'll put it on here. We'll sell it. You give you the you know cuts and licenses and royalties that go with it. And, and we'll be able to distribute it out where we need to on the rugby network. Or, you know, if we need to, we can go sell it on Netflix. We can sell it on Hulu, you know, because for whatever it's worth, we at least have people who have money and power so we can be able to maybe create connection. You do that, you create a whole new engagement process altogether because that's what people actually do. You need stuff that is the face of you. And as a rugby, newly rugby established <laughs> league, you can be that A&R, discovering the talent. Don't be the premiership rugby where you're recycling the same old hags over and over. Have you looked at the podcast? All it is is former player, former player. Oh, goof humor, goof humor, accent, accent, accent. That's literally all that you got. That's the same thing every single time. It's a New Zealander. It's an Englishman. Typically, it's an Englishman, another Englishman, an additional Englishman. You don't even get a variation of them. It's like a variation of a lock and a prop and a flanker. And we just use that in a cycle within the sprinkle of a wing and a fly half in the middle there. Just a sprinkle here and there. But it's basically just your big guys and then a sprinkle inside there. Like, I, I just, it, it, you could completely change the game because you're an innovator. You're new. You're allowed to be innovative in this point. So to not do that, it, it, you're losing money. This is an additional stream of income because it allows you to be able to create legitimate distribution for that. So that's 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 one part that just uh, just you, you could do better. Next, this is where it goes into the programming. You need a better funnel of programming. This is why you need a different media team because right now your programming, what you guys are doing is literally just gathering up games, but you're not doing anything with it. Yes, the Rugby Network just put together a whole new podcast uh, show with Alex Corbacero and Will Hooley, and they're going to talk about college rugby and international rugby and premiership. Basically, we're going to talk about all the rugby that's happening on the Rugby Network, while we also have the show uh, MLR Weekly or whatever it's called with Stacey Pats and the guy that's with Stacey Pats that nobody actually watches. Why? Because you're literally repeating the same show over and over again. Where are the shows that the kids are going to do? Where are the shows that you get young adults to do? Where is the show that you actually now attack to the adults? You know who was a very big genius in being able to do this? Ted Turner. If you don't know who Ted Turner, he's the guy who founded TNT, the uh, uh, 
television Turner, television Turner Network, something like that. TNT, Cartoon Network. Uh, this man is instrumental in creating Captain Planet, uh, basically creating uh, helping create Toonami. This man was like, he's a genius. Company all based out in Atlanta. This man understood the concept of funnel. He made CNN. Whether you hate it or love it, it's still one of the most uh, watched news channels in the world. He knew that while news sells, and he was the one that created 24-hour news, while news sells, your audience for that is only going to be stipulated based off of who's coming up behind you. And you may, he made the children's programming not only just to make money, but to do over reprogramming. He was an environmentalist. This is why we got Captain Planet. He was, uh, oh, God, what was the rest of it? Man, he, mainly he was an environment. He was a crazy guy, to be honest with you. He was actually a kook. But he was like a genius kook. And he was able to create this where you now establish a consistency in it. And what's happened? Since creating that, it created shows like uh, Freakazoid, Earthworm Jim, uh, 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 Range Rovers, uh, uh, aforementioned um, Captain Planet. Then it moved to shows that brought in anime, which brought a whole new spur. 20 years down the line. And I'm not saying it needs to take 20 years. I'm saying you create the funnel of having people in. You start off buying into it, and then in, you naturally progress it. But you got nothing for children. You have nothing for adolescents. You have nothing for college students. All you have are games, 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 games. And let me tell you, nobody's even watching the games because you don't have any storylines to the games. So your funnel doesn't even work to be able to progress people over there. Yes, you're going to have two guys who you've seen talk on other channels about the same exact thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. But instead of using the investments that you have capability to have to be able to create more intricacy, to be able to get down to your youth, get down to the parents, get down to the adolescents, get down to the 20 year olds and college students and feel like they're connected into it. You just say, we're going to put more games and feel like this is field of dreams where if you see it, they'll come. You paid money for premiership rugby. Why the hell do you pay money for your literal competition? You said, oh, we need to attract people in. You didn't need Premiership Rugby. You need a better funnel to be able to go do your stuff. So that would be the one thing. That's the other thing that would help MLR and rugby in general to be able to improve significantly. It attaches you to the community. And lastly, but not least, all right, this is one specifically for my boy Mick, but I agree with it wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. You need to create and sell your own physical products, all right? And this was well said. This was well explained. You guys can actually check out the interview um, with Mick, uh, Mick, Mick uh, Feely, uh, Michael Feely. Uh, I forgot what it is. It's inside the interviews. But what I mean by create and own your own product is you have the distribution and the titleage of being Major League Rugby. Just like the similarity that I said with buying real estate, you do the same thing with product. Yes, you can keep renting shorts out from Paladin or I think now they're with, um, I forgot, the one that starts with a K. Now Kaplan, now with Kaplan or something like that. Um, it's not about creating jerseys that they sell. It's creating jerseys and balls in general. Like they should kind of be your competition. Yeah, they've helped in, you know, obviously get in, but... The thing that rugby people need are kit, balls, shoes, mouthpieces, 
and basically instruction, but that's more digital product. If you're able to have a production in one of these and say this is the official MLR gear or you partner with one of these lineups and actually like instead of just being like, yo, this is an MLR and this is for this specific team, but we don't have really have too many that have a name behind it and we don't really promote our players enough up to be able to elevate the name so that it goes to it. It's like, no, create a kit that goes on the on the, the tab, not on the shirt, on the tab and say this one gets distributed to teams. So whenever your college teams, your high school teams, your youth teams want to play, they're going to be playing. They're going to have an MLR insignia on their stuff, but they're going to have their actual team name on there because it's an an MLR brand, not just MLR um, uh, promoted. It's an MLR brand, and this would create an additional revenue source. Once again, you can partner with one of these companies to be able to do it. There's so many damn kit companies that are here. I don't know how much I can tell you how often I'm getting hit up, not just by, not really by the U.S. ones, by ones in Pakistan and India and China. Honestly, most of those kits are already coming from those places. You already have the brand, the distribution, at least the distribution of the teams to be able to say, be like this player, run like this person, do like this, and be able to go ahead instead and switch that over to being able to create the brand that works for you and yourself and be able to do that distributively and it scale to everybody else who needs it. It would change it. Again, it's the equivalent of UFC having their gloves. UFC literally does the UFC model works. <laughs> it works. <laughs> Minus the pay-per-view. You can't do pay-per-view. You just you don't you don't have enough viewership for that. But the the view actually, honestly, if you did no, don't don't do pay-per-view. Don't don't do pay-per-view. I'm knock that one out. But selling your own version of merch or your own line is far greater than simply just promoting a brand that also just has your logo. You're not promoting because you don't get a cut. You're just getting either free gear or you're hoping that it gets a cut, percentage cut that you still have to split with the players or you should uh, from from that. When in reality, it could be like how Adidas did with Kanye West. Like that's that's really the direction. And it goes back to what I said before. Be a label. Discover and develop your own talent, not just on the field, off the field. That's where the work is done. So. Y'all, that's 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 my thought and process when it comes to this. I I, I don't think I'm gonna continue on. There's other stuff to talk about, but I don't want to continue on with the rest of it. Let me know what your guys' thoughts are on all of this. I know I've rambled. I know I might have said a whole lot, but I think it's incredibly important because rugby is in a huge recession. This is like the copper era of rugby happening right now. We got the Olympics high, but we're also losing tremendous amounts of money and it doesn't feel like we've recovered since the pandemic. And honestly, we were kind of on fool's gold previous to the pandemic anyways. So like in the U.S. particularly, it, it's so necessary, so necessary that we have to be innovative and we have to be savvy. Whenever Kimball Kajar is talking about we need to be acting like startups, we're not acting like startups. We're acting like an established product that is just looking to be able to increase. We're not established. We need to be startup. We need to be able to be scrappy. We need to be able to play guerrilla warfare with our sports so that we can break through the line. We need to get through it. And once again, I typically wouldn't have an issue except for the fact that we literally got billionaires, multimillionaires, and hundred millionaires that are invested in the league and refuse to actually do more than just the bare minimum. 
and they're losing $50 million a year for doing the bare minimum. I'm not, again, I'm not saying they're not passionate. I'm not saying you're not, they're, they're not trying to do the best they can. I'm saying they don't know enough to do the things they need to because it's clearly not working. And this is an overall effect, but we can only work within niches and elements like that. As a person who's done events and created stuff, when you have no money and you're like, dude, just give me a scrap in, bruh, you can go do magnificent stuff because you have, when you're broke, you actually have to think and you actually have to figure yourself out. MLR and USA Rugby and rugby in general almost all, but USA Rugby and MLR are broke. We broke folk. We're not rich. We're broke. And we need to play like broke folk. We just happen to be broke folk that have an investable concept and a high ceiling that's behind us. But that money ain't doing anything if we're not doing broke stuff. Like, we need to do broke folk stuff. So let me know what you guys thought. You guys can absolutely hit me up on in the, the comments. Absolutely talk it up. Um, Obviously, we break this down. Let me know in the podcast. Send me a DM. Yell at me. Call me up. I don't care. I'm willing to have the conversation. More importantly, I'm willing to help on the execution. But that's if you're you're down to be able to do it. All right, y'all. I got one more commercial, and then we're going to be back and with uh, final conclusions and thoughts. We'll be right back. Y'all, if you are trying to be able to get your name out, whether it's for business, whether it's for work, whether you're just trying to do something personal for a friend or family, you need to stop utilizing social media as the sole place where you put all your stuff. You don't know when the algorithms are going to change on you, and you don't know whenever the rules are going to change. So what seemed like it was okay yesterday might not be today. And what does that mean? You need to have your own home, and that means having your own website. That's where Green Geeks comes into play. Now, Green Geeks is the place where you can create and build your website in the cleanest host in the game. I'm talking about environmentally. Not only that, they'll provide you with a free domain name and free template builder so that you don't even have to think about having to create your website. I've used Green Geeks for almost a decade now, and I have been so satisfied by everything that they've been able to provide for me. No matter whether or not I know what I'm doing or I don't, they have 24-7 support for me every single time I need a question answered or I need something to be changed or I need to be updated on any information. And the best part about this is that I'm not limited to any of the websites that are need to be used. It uses a WordPress foundation, which allows me to have access to limitless amounts of templates that are available to be able to use for any version of a website that I want to have. And the best thing about it, the best thing about it, it costs me less than $5 per month to do. And that can be the same for you. All I needed to do is click the link in the bio. If you're listening, definitely click it in the description. And if you're watching, definitely click it in the description as well. But you guys, this is something that everybody should do. You don't have to just do e-commerce. Your website is the place where you have control over what you want. That's your house, not their house. And go ahead and get that with Green Geeks. Once again, click the link in the description to be able to get your first year at under $5 per month. Guys, it's the best decision, I'm telling you. Let's get back to it. All right, y'all. I want to thank you guys so much for uh, taking the time to watch. Thank you for those who were able to watch, listen. Uh, thank you for the comments. But most importantly, y'all, I really, really am happy that you guys are wanting to see what we can actually do, what our full potential. You know, uh, there's a lot of work that needs to get done. 
but I believe that we can do it. I don't believe in the doom and gloom of rugby. I do think that there is an upside, but I do think that dynamic change has to happen. I do think dynamic change from mentality as well as a financial point to strategy as well. Y'all, I it's, once again, thank you so much. Check out some of our other episodes of the past. Of course, we got our interviews. Next year, we're going to be starting back on full interviews. We're getting things lined up right now. Um, I'm really looking forward to what we can bring. Uh, let me know what you guys' thoughts are on all of this and, and how you feel with it. Um, I, I do appreciate it. Any thoughts and comments? And, of course, this is episode 100. Big congratulations. Heck of an episode to go off of. Um, and I'm looking forward to the next 1,000 more, if possible. Uh, in the meantime, yo, look, I hope that you are happy. I hope that you are healthy. And significantly, most importantly, significantly, most importantly, I hope that you know that you are highly favored. Until next time, y'all. Cheers.